Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Phyllis Weiss-Hazaro is the cross-generational voice. She is a facilitator, marketing business development strategist, speaker, podcaster, and best-selling author focused on the business of uniting people, purpose, potential, and profits across the generations at work. Phyllis brings multi-generational perspective, curiosity, extensive marketing, and conflict resolution experience to help organizations solve intergenerational challenges with clients, external stakeholders, and for internal teams, including attraction retention, knowledge transfer, and succession planning. The desired outcomes are greater gen-gagement, which I'm sure Phyllis will tell us about, uh, harmony, productivity, and profit. Phyllis is the co-host of the Legacy Makers at Work podcast and author of three books, including You Can't Google It, The Compelling Case for Cross-Generational Conversation at Work, Embrace Gen-Gagement, How to Transform Generational Challenges to Opportunities for You and Your Firm, and The Rainmaking Machine. And she's a frequent speaker, blogger, podcast guest, and Thomson Reuters Institute columnist. Phyllis, thank you so much for joining us at Be Brave at Work. So happy to be here. It's my pleasure. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Our pleasure. And I did kind of a light introduction of you in respect to what you do. And I'm wondering if you can, for our listeners, to tell us a little bit more about how you currently engage in the marketplace. All right. Uh, Just a little bit about what I was doing on the way, because my career really has evolved. You know, I don't really drop, (laughs) you know, old stuff by the wayside. So I started as an urban planner and did that for a while, decided that I was more um, business-oriented than a lot of the people in that field. I got very interested in communications and marketing. And so then I really start as as a trailblazer. I've been been a trailblazer my whole career. Uh, So in marketing and business development for professional service firms. And 
then along with working with various firms, I realized that the younger people in the firms were not getting the attention they needed because the senior people needed, you know, were too busy. So I started next generation programs in some of those firms for the younger people and junior partners so that they could get more proficient at uh, business generation and working with each other that they didn't work with in, in regular fashion. And I became so captivated by all things generational that in 2005, I really switched my focus to intergenerational challenges being the number one, but half of that really is external and attracting and retaining clients and other external stakeholders uh, of all generations. So that's where I am, and I help multi-generational organizations and the individuals within them interpret what's going on under the hood, as it were, between people of all kinds of differences and remove those barriers, barriers, I tend to say barriers. I think you and want to say barriers. Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Okay, sorry. And unleash, um, you know, motivation and inspired collaboration and strategizing, strategizing about how to resolve disconnects and conflicts. Well, you have had a fantastic career, Phyllis, and I'm wondering when did this multi-generational or cross-generational perspective come to you? You know, when did you flip and start doing more and more work in that arena? Well, I actually started those next generation programs in firms I was working with in 1997, but my real switch to make the number one focus was in, I guess, in 2005. And I've been doing a, a newsletter, which if anyone is interested in getting on the list, uh, since July of 2004. Every month, once a month. Fantastic. We will include a link to your website or the newsletter for any listeners who are interested in joining that. Yet, I'm, I'm just curious, Phyllis, what attracted you to this cross-generational work? I mean, this is not something everybody does, and yet something had you noticed the multi-generational experiences or cross-generational, you know, what prompted you and excited you about, you know, really focusing in this particular area? Yeah, um, it it is, and still, unfortunately, not enough focus is is given to generations and age diversity. You know, I think that it deserves a, a bigger, more prominent seat at the diversity and equity, inclusion, and belonging table. But uh, 
I always got along with people that were got along well with with people who were younger and older. And in fact, even in my earliest career as a planner, because I came out of school with a master's degree and there were people who knew less about the field that were reporting to me, even though I, in some cases, was quite a bit younger than they were, um, you know, I had that kind of relationship, and we worked very well. And I always liked, I, I'm attracted to, to all kinds of differences, even, you know, some of the divisiveness. I, I mean, I don't think that that's a good thing, but trying to uh, really solve those issues... And so when I was working with all this, you know, a lot of law firms, accounting firms, other kinds of uh, professional service firms, it, it was clear that they were very hierarchical and that there, was discon there were disconnects between the more senior professionals and the younger ones. And I'm a person who sees patterns out there before other people see them, it seems, and, and, and needs. And so I decide, hmm, that's interesting. I want to do that. And that was the case. Well, seeing patterns is such a fantastic skill set. I wish everyone could notice patterns more and pay attention to them. And it looks as though, Phyllis, one of the byproducts of your work is this uh, tool or model or phrase you use, gengagement, right? So it's the word engagement with a G. Can you and, tell us a, a, a little bit about what that is? Yeah, it's spelled ca with cap G-E-N. And the rest of the word gaugement in lowercase, just to let you know my, you know, trademark word. Well, actually, I have a few of those. I make up words. They pop into my head. Another one, <laughs> collaborageism, and I'll tell you what that is, too. But engagement really is, the, you know, getting the various generations in harmony with each other so that they can appreciate, understand, and collaborate better. That's what it is. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot about that in two of my books and a whole lot of articles that I wrote before, so I was using that. And, in fact... Interestingly, I found an article from 2012 that uh, I was asked to write. Well, I was asked to write an article. What resulted was using the word engagement in the in the title, and the um, positive and negative of coming across that article as I was trying to throw things out was that reading it over, it is still everything in there and all those recommendations I made were still as relevant today. And the sad part about it is that everything is relevant today. <laughs> it hasn't changed the way we would have liked to see. But that's what that is. And collaborageism is not 
only what is obvious that it's getting the generations and ages to collaborate better. But when I thought of it, it was about getting all of the generations and ages to work jointly to get rid of ageism, whether for older people, younger people, or the people in the middle, as I'm always saying, that even babies are aging every day, so it can hit you at any time. And I believe that we are never going to get rid of ageism and eliminate it and the stigmas until all the ages get together to fight it together instead of pointing fingers. That is so true, I think, for many biases that people have that we all have to kind of approach it from the same angle. And I'm wondering, Phyllis, when you think about cross-generational relationships or cross-generational conversations, where does where, where do you think bravery comes into play? Does it take bravery to connect with generations that are different than yours? Is it another or different type of behavior or perspective? What are some of your thoughts on that? Well, I think that many people don't feel comfortable uh, interacting or revealing themselves completely to people of other generations. And what needs to be done is to to reach out, be brave, and reach out to people of differences, to get to know them as people, to understand their perspectives. I mean, people who were born at different times tend to have different attributes because of what formed their influences or what influenced them, what was going on economically, politically, socially, and culturally. And there are differences at different times. That doesn't mean that 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 kind of thing determines everything about their thoughts and behaviors, because there are other things that determine it. But they're important ingredients, and so there are some similarities there as well as differences. Well, it sounds like one of those classic business principles that when you're meeting somebody who may be different than you for a variety of reasons, look for commonalities. Look for what you might have in common first because you might find that you have more in common than you might have anticipated based on other biases or you know luggage that you're carrying based on who they are or who they represent. Is that what you find when you work with your clients? Yeah. uh, You know, definitely you want to have some common foundation that, that makes it easier to, you know, start a conversation and feel comfortable. So that's important to understand and for the comfort level. Because I think, you know, it's people tend to feel safer at their own comfort level. And that's why we need 
a lot more psychological uh, safety set up in, in organizations. But that's a subject for another time. I'm doing a lot of writing and talking Well, about you brought that. up the topic. No, I would tell you that the concept of psychological safety has come up oftentimes on our podcast, which is this behavior of creating a safe place for people to be who they are in the moment and modeling it, rewarding it, uh, recognizing mm -hmm. it, right? These are all such important right. behaviors. Absolutely. And, you know, I've seen that so much in meetings and organizations I worked with, the need, the need for that, and really setting it up as part of the culture in advance. And so, and so from your perspective, you, you have seen psychological safety in play or you haven't seen it? Well, I think it varies. But I think that there's more of an awareness now. I mean, the phrase wasn't even familiar to most people until the last couple of years. Right, right. And well, how about, go ahead. I was just going to say, I led a, a discussion in a group that I uh, meet with every couple of weeks, online, of course, now, and I ask that, when did people first hear that phrase? And one person said that uh, he, he, when he was doing research for his Ph.D. in 1990, he came across it and told me, you know, who was the person. But most of most people either have not become familiar with it yet, or it's just been recent? Well, from my perspective, it is a more recent concept in the workplace. And Phyllis, when, when you think about your background, I'm just wondering if you could share a story about a time that you did not demonstrate bravery and the impact or thoughts that you have on it today. Do you have a, a story or an anecdote you can share about not showing bravery in the past? Uh, yes, I do, but I, you know, and I want to preface this by saying that most of my instances of lack of bravery, which I never thought about before this podcast, you know, and the invitation came up. That's true for a lot of our guests. Most of my instances of lack of bravery, I think, are internal to me rather than what I did or how I interacted with with others uh, I have a lot you know the first thought when it when it came up was well I've been brave in this way and that way you know as a tr trailblazer and uh, taking on when I was still an urban planner uh, taking over business or so it was a consulting firm that I was vice president, and, and when the CEO and founder wanted to focus on a certain piece of the business because he could get um, funding for that to expand without the consulting part, he, he asked two of us to take that over. And I never thought of, you know, being 
this, this, while I was the, I became the executive vice president uh, of the new firm, never thought about doing that. I didn't think of myself as an entrepreneur at that time, but it turns out I have been ever since, not with that. So, uh, but in terms of the what I think you're asking for specifically, I'm going to go back to a lesson, lessons learned from the days when I was an urban planner uh, shortly, I guess, well, no, it wasn't really one of the last uh, of those. Uh, it, I was at a firm that was set up as a private public or public-private organization for economic development. And I was the last person hired and the only planner. And I was given a tiny office at first, and it was far away from everything else. I wasn't complaining, you know. It was a lot less than I was used to. But after, yeah... After uh, a senior person left, I was given that office, which was a large office, like uh, more senior management. And, you know, I, I, I was happy, and the people externally that I interacted with were, were happy. I, you know, was heading communications and uh, those kinds of projects. But I discovered, uh, and, you know, I hadn't even been thinking about this, that because I was smart and working hard and longer hours than these other people that were not on a senior level, he kind of favored me and... I became surprisingly to me suspect by some of my colleagues who couldn't understand why I was staying later and, you know, working so hard. And I, I didn't think, you know, that was just who I was. So I, I didn't know how to bridge that gap. And I probably was not as brave as I should have been to try to reach out and just ask, or how, how do we really solve this problem? So the lessons learned, I think, were, and ever since then, I really am a person who reaches out and is very curious about people. So I try to establish relationships and conversations. I love to be in person with people, but I definitely love to be in communication. So the lesson is to reach out early to develop relationships. And that's the way you're going to develop trust and be able to work more smoothly with people. Well, I appreciate you sharing that story, and you've touched on two key themes we talk about on the podcast, which is relationships and conversation, that you have to have positive relationships, not best friends, but positive relationships with people that you work with. And then, of course, 
pre-pandemic, but you know, even today, conversations with them, not just work-related, but checking in and and saying hi, et cetera. So two great lessons and observations, Phyllis, that you have shared with us. Thank you so much for your time today and sharing with us this perspective, which we have not heard a lot about, which is really bravery at work and cross-generational relationships. And I'm wondering if people want to get in touch with you or hear more about your work, how can they do that? All right. Uh, Happy to tell you that. And I have a challenge also for your listeners My website, I actually have two of them, but the one that focuses the most on uh, on intergenerational challenges and solutions is called, uh, you know, the URL is youcantgoogleit.com. And that was named for one of my books. That was my third book and uh, has all kinds of things including some free offers on on there and a way to sign up for my newsletter cross-generational conversation um, I love questions so I'm going to give you my email address which is p W-H-A-S-E-R-O-T at P as in Peter, D as in David, C as in Council, O-U-N as in Nancy, S as in Sam, E as in Edward, L as in Logic dot com. Um, and the name of my firm is still Practice Development Council, C-O-U-N-S-E-L. It's never been a nonprofit. So uh, I'm sure that'll all be in the show notes, but I have to (laughs) spell out things. No, No, thank you. Thank you. So what is the challenge? So the challenge, I love to give this to try to encourage cross generational conversation. The challenge is to reach out to three people of different generations that you don't know all that well, people that you work with in the same organization or work with in some other way, and get to know them, have conversations about who they are, how, you know, they personally identify, what's important, their interest, and lay a foundation for really developing relationships. Well, I love that challenge. And to our listeners, we hope that you take Phyllis up on that challenge to reach out to at least three people in your life, in your organization who represent different generations and find out more about them. I think that's a fantastic idea. Phyllis, thank you so much for your time today. It has been great speaking with you. And great speaking with you too. My pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 
or visit them for more information at capitrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.